We hope you like this Resurrection Oakland Church podcast. Unauthorized use of any part of this copyrighted material for redistribution or duplication is not permitted without prior consent from Resurrection Oakland Church. To learn more about our church and its charity and mission work in and around Oakland, California, please visit our website at www.resoakland.com. You can go ahead and take your seats. Thank you, Meredith. Let me pray for us as we prepare to look at God's Word together. Father, we give You thanks that You are a God who has not remained silent, and You've not tried to keep us guessing about who You are and what You're like, but You've, you've revealed Yourself to us. Uh, in your son and through your word. And so we, we pray now that you would come and speak to us because we, we don't just need to hear from me. Uh, we need to hear from you. We need, we need your wisdom. Uh, we need your strength. We need your love. We need your words. We need your voice in our life more than we even know. We, we come into this room as people who are, who are more fractured than we even realize, and we, we feel it, and yet it runs deeper than we even know. But we praise you that you are a God who, who loves to speak, and so we ask that you would do that this morning. Give us ears to hear. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Uh, before we jump into the passage, I want to just give you a very quick update on our year-end giving goal. We talked about this a lot in December. Uh, Every December, we set a financial goal, and uh, like most churches, a a large percentage of our giving comes at the very end of the year, and and reaching that goal is critical to us, Uh, being able to be the kind of church that we talk about. It's critical to us being able to be a church, not just for ourselves, 
but for our city. It's, it's critical to us being a church that is generous to our city and to other ministries in our city and to what God is doing in this city that he loves so deeply. And it's, it's critical to us being a church where every person feels known and cared for as we're able to really come alongside people in our own family who, who are in need of financial assistance. So, you know, that goal is it's critical to the rest of the year. It is critical to us being able to really dream big about ministry and about mission. And our goal, if you've been around, you heard this, our goal for December was $275,000. And uh, I'm thrilled to tell you that the final total was $350,778. And we should clap for that, actually. And I I just, I want to say that I love what God is doing in this church. I, I love the generosity that is being cultivated in this church. It is supernatural. It is countercultural. And it is the way of Jesus. And you need to know that pastors in this church don't, we don't know who gives what, but I do know that a lot of people gave in December. A lot of people in this church gave. And I know that a lot of people gave a lot of different amounts. And on behalf of the finance team and our whole staff and myself, I just want to say thank you. I want you to know how encouraged I am and how grateful I am. So praise God. 2022, what is God going to continue to do in this church and in this city this year? It's really exciting to think about. Um, All right, now, Genesis. We're starting a new series this morning uh, on the life of Abraham. And uh, there are two reasons we're doing this series. Here's the first. One of my observations in, in years of ministry has been that a lot, a lot of people, even many Christians, love the New Testament. We love, we love the God of the New Testament. We love all of this talk about loving your neighbor and caring for the poor and, and, and turning the other cheek and mercy and kindness. But... But then you turn to the Old Testament, and, it, and, and some of you feel like, like God just kind of switched. Like, it's like he woke up on the wrong side of the bed, and he's just, he's angry, and he's full of wrath, and he's just kind of mad at everybody. And so as a result, what I've noticed is that many Christians don't read the Old Testament. We just kind of stick to the New Testament. Uh, What I want to help you see in this series, what we want to help you see in this series, is that God does not change. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And he is opposed to sin, and he is opposed to evil, and everything that is undoing this world. But from the first page to the last in the Bible, he is full of love and kindness and mercy and redemption That's the first reason. Here's the second reason. Uh, The New Testament tells us, it talks about Abraham a lot, actually. It might talk about Abraham as much as it talks about any other Old Testament character. And it calls him a model of faith. Now, don't mishear that. It does not call him a model of faith because he always gets it right. In fact, what we're going to see in this series is that Abraham often gets it wrong. And that's why we're calling this series God's Faithfulness to Unfaithful People. 
God, Abraham is not a model of faith for us because he always gets it right. He is a model of faith for us because in his story, we learn about what it means to be a part of God's people and God's purposes in the world. In other words, Abraham's life has so much to teach us about what it means to be a Christian. And so this morning, we're starting at the very beginning where God calls Abraham. And and here's what we're going to see. This this is an encounter where Abraham meets God and his life is transformed. What is a Christian? A Christian is someone who has personally encountered the living God, Jesus Christ, and their life has been supernaturally changed. God's call to Abraham is the same call in our lives. And so we, we need to understand it. We need to unpack it, and I just want to do it in kind of looking at two very simple questions this morning. How does God's call come into our lives, and how does God's call change our lives? How does it come into your life? How does it change your life? So first, how does it come into your life? The first thing we need to see is that the text that we're reading this morning, it makes no mention of Abraham's personal qualifications. There's nothing special about him. There's no mention of what a righteous person he is, what a good person he is, what a moral person he is, or how deserving he is. In fact, what we're going to see in this story is that Abraham is basically a moral train wreck. On two occasions, he lies and hands his wife over to men that are more powerful than him and says says that she's his sister rather than his wife in order to save his own skin. On another occasion, he sleeps with his servant And gets her pregnant. Okay, like if you have a daughter, Abraham is not who you want her bringing home to meet you. Okay, this is not a good dude. But second, not only is Abraham a mess, Abraham is not looking for God. And we know this because at the very end of chapter 11, when we are first introduced to Abraham, we didn't print it for you this morning, we should have printed it for you and read it. Here's what we learn. Abraham is from a city called Ur of the Chaldeans. It's very prominent, one of the most prominent cities in ancient Mesopotamia, and here's what we know about it. It was the center of moon worship. Abraham was not looking for God. Abraham was worshiping other gods. But you know what? God came looking for Abraham. God came calling for him. God, listen to this, God searched for Abraham before Abraham ever searched for him. Abraham did not find God. God found him. Despite all of his mess, all of his brokenness, all of the ways that God knew he had made a wreck of his life and that he would continue to make a wreck of his life, God came calling. I have a friend who uh, several years ago was driving through the Oregon countryside and he was on this rural two-lane highway and he saw one of those missing persons billboard. Do you know the kind that I'm talking about? It, it, it's, it's posted by, you know, kind of a missing persons organization. It has, it has the person's face at the very top. And then it says, have you seen this person? And then underneath that it has, you know, their name and their date of birth and the details of when they went missing and when they were last seen. And then underneath that is this 1-800 number to call if you've seen this person. Well, this is one of those billboards, except it was a little different. Because it wasn't 
it, was, it, had, it had the face of a child on it. But it wasn't some missing persons organization that had posted this billboard. It was a parent. And the, the text on the billboard simply said this, I will find you. No matter what it takes, I will find you. And friends, that is the heart of God. And it is what we see in the story of Abraham. God finds him. Now what do we learn from this? We learn that God's call comes into our lives not because of anything that we have done, but because of sheer grace. God sets his affections on you not because of who you are, but because of who he is. Not because we are worthy or deserving, but because God is gracious and kind. And you know what that is called? It is called the Christian gospel. And it is what the Bible is about from the very first page to the very last page. Some of you think this gospel stuff doesn't show up until Jesus gets on the scene. You know what Paul says in Galatians chapter 3, verse 8? He says, the scriptures announced the gospel in advance to Abraham. The gospel is the good news. There is nothing you can or must do to qualify yourself for the love of God. You cannot achieve it. You can only receive it. And that's called grace. Philip Yancey, who's a Christian author, he says that grace is one of the hardest things to believe. He, he writes this. He says, he says, from nursery school onward, we are taught how to succeed in the world of ungrace. See, Christianity is about grace, but we, we live in a world of ungrace. And Yancey says this, the early bird gets the worm, no pain, no gain. There is no such thing as a free lunch. Demand your rights. Get what you pay for. Yancey says, I know these rules well because I live by them. And yet if I care to listen, I hear a loud whisper from the gospel that I did not get what I deserved. I deserved punishment and got forgiveness. I deserved wrath and got love. I deserved debtor's prison and got instead a clean credit history. I deserved stern lectures and crawl on your knees repentance, but instead I got a banquet spread for me. Let's apply this. Some of you here, you're exploring Christianity. You're looking for God. And maybe you're asking, how do I know if God is calling me? Don't you see that that is the very reason you are sitting in this room right now? Romans chapter 3 says that there is no one who goes after God. The only reason we go after God is because God is coming after us. See, if you're looking for him, you're here this morning. You have questions. You're seeking. If you're here looking for him, he's already looking for you. If you want him, he already wants you. You know, or maybe you're here this morning and you are filled with shame and with self-loathing. There's just kind of this narrative that is constantly running in the back of your head about how much you have messed up your life and what a broken person you are because of things you've done or things that have been done to you. And maybe you look at your life and you think, God would never want me. 
He never won me. I've messed up too many times. I've crossed too many boundaries. I've made too many broken promises. That is not how God operates. God does not seek a relationship with you because you have been good. He seeks a relationship with you because he is good. And because no one, no one is beyond the reach of his grace. You know, and maybe there's others of you here this morning. We need to hear this not because we think we're disqualified, but because we tend to think that other people are disqualified. As Christians, we very often have a tendency to rule people out. To think that some people are better candidates to be Christians than others. I mean, who is it in your life? Your neighbor? Someone you work with? People in your social circles that you think they would never become a Christian? Are you kidding me? If you know yourself at all, you know that there is nothing in you that makes you a better candidate than anyone else to be a Christian. If God can save you, he can save anyone. If he can work in Abraham's life, he can work in anyone's life because his call comes into our lives by pure grace. And that actually brings us to this second point of how God's call challenges our lives, see, or changes our lives. Listen, grace changes you. Grace that does not change you is grace that is not in you. Grace always changes you. But how does it change you? And this text says it changes you in three ways. There's a forsaking, there's a waiting, and there's a blessing. Let's look at each of these. There's a forsaking, a waiting, a blessing. First, a forsaking. What's the first thing? that God says to Abraham in verse 1. I love this. Very first words out of God's mouth. Go. The, the Hebrew word here is even stronger. It's the word leave. It literally means leave. And what is God calling Abraham to leave? I want you to think about this. He's calling him to leave everything. God says, go from your country, your people, and your father's household. You see, the moment that Abraham meets God, God says, Abraham, I come into your life by sheer grace. You weren't looking for me. I came looking for you. But the moment I come into your life, it's going to cost you everything. And maybe you hear that and you think, you know, that's a little extreme. I'm all about people getting a little bit of religion in their life, finding some principles or some kind of helpful tools here and there to make us better people better neighbors, better friends, better spouses, better parents, better contributors to society. Friends, that is not the God of the Bible. That is a God that you can manage. That is a God who gets on board with your agenda. That is a God who sprinkles a little bit of wisdom into your life. That, that is a God who you tell what to do versus a God who tells you what to do. And you say, well, wait a minute, okay, but this is Abraham, you know, and he's kind of special. He's in a different category. In Mark 10, when Jesus is talking to the rich young ruler and he looks at him and he says, you have to sell everything that you have. And the crowds walk away. The disciple Peter looks at Jesus and he says, Jesus, we have left 
everything to follow you. And he said, well, wait a minute, but that's Peter. You know, Peter was special too. He was one of the 12. He was, he was an apostle. I mean, he like wrote some books in the Bible. Okay, but in Luke chapter 14, verse 33, Jesus looks at the crowds. And you know what he says? He says, anyone who does not give up everything they have cannot be my disciple. Christianity is not just getting a little bit of religion into your life. It is about relinquishing every part of your life to God. Your career, your money, your body, your singleness, your difficult marriage, your children, your bitterness towards those who've wronged you. It means that you are no longer in the driver's seat of your own life. You say, God, what do you want? And God says, everything. But here's the thing. God never promises, God never calls you to give up anything for him without promising you much more in return. That's a very important thing to understand. He never calls you to give up anything for him without promising you much more in return. Jesus says it this way in Matthew chapter 10, verse 29. He says, no one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age. Homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children and fields, and in the age to come, eternal life. Christians never end up on the short end of the stick with God. There will be things that God calls you to give up. There will be moments where you feel like you are losing in the Christian life and people around you are getting ahead. But in the end, there will never be loss. And we see this in Abraham's story, actually where God calls him to leave everything, but in the very same breath, he makes these three great promises to Abraham, which brings us to the second aspect of how God's call changes you, because it leads to a waiting. See, I want you to notice the promises that God makes to Abraham. There's three of them. Uh, in verse 1, he promises him land. In verse 2, he promise, promises to make him into a great nation. And then at the end of verse 2, he promises to give him a name. And here's what you need to know about these promises. God fulfills all of them. Abraham becomes the patriarch of Israel in the Old Testament, which as we come to the New Testament, we'll talk about this more in the series, becomes the church, this global family, this people from all nations, from many nations. We see that God brings Israel into the land of Canaan. Uh, Abraham, who, who was a nobody at the beginning of Genesis 12, his name becomes, becomes historically prominent. I mean, we are talking about him today. God fulfills all of these promises, but here's what you need to know. He does not fulfill any of them in Abraham's lifetime. Abraham, when Abraham dies, Israel is not much more than a single family. Abraham never fully possesses this land that God promises him. 
When he dies, he's still living in obscurity. Very few people know his name. And what you see in Abraham's life is that he had to live his life in this huge gap between God's promise and God's fulfillment. His relationship with God was filled with waiting. And you know what? Ours is too. Waiting is really hard. We are not good at waiting. We like fast internet, fast solutions, fast responses, fast food, if that's your thing. I'm eating a true burger after lunch today, actually. So we like things fast. We are not good at waiting. And when things do not go according to our timeline, we feel like something is broken or wrong. And the same is true spiritually. When God's promises do not operate on our timeline, we are prone to think, this is not working. God is not working for me. God has forgotten me, or God is not coming through for me. And, you know, think about it. I mean, God promises that if you are in Christ, you are a new creation. But so many of us, we don't feel new. We feel stuck in old habits and old patterns, and we feel like we're never going to be different. God promises to make your life fruitful, to give you the fruit of the Spirit, that your life would be full of joy and peace and patience. But how many of us feel like that is not what my life is filled with? It's not filled with joy. It's filled with sadness or despair or discontent. It's not filled with peace. It's filled with anxiety. It is not filled with gentleness. It is filled with anger. Listen to this. God has promised to use everything that comes into your life for good. But how many of us would say, I am still waiting to see how he's going to bring any good out of what just happened? God promises to bring about an end to justice. And yet if you open your eyes and look at the world, what do we see? Oppression? Darkness? Now, what do we do with all of this? That is such an important question. I mean, some of us in this room, this is why we are teetering on the edge of walking away from Christianity. Because we're looking at saying, God, you've made these promises, and I don't see any of it. It's not working. What do we do with all of this? We look at Abraham. Abraham is where we learn what it means to live in the gap to live in the gap between God's promise and God's fulfillment. Hebrews 11 says this about Abraham and his entire family. It says, all these people were still living by faith when they they died. They did not receive the things promised. Do you hear that? They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance. And they admitted that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they'd been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had opportunity to return. But instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. And therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. Here's what we learned in Abraham. God 
is always at work. Even when you can't see it, even when you don't feel it. He is always at work and he is always faithful to the promises that he has made to us. And it may take years. You know, God promises Abraham a son. You know how long Abraham waited? 25 years. It may take years. It may not happen in this life. But like Abraham, you will see it. You may only see it from a distance now, but you will see it up close in glory. You you, you may only see it by faith right now, but you will see it by sight in eternity. And until then, you know what the Christian life is? Waiting. We wait. And we wait because if God is faithful to Abraham, he will be faithful to us. And that brings us to the last thing. That God call, that how God's call changes our lives. It brings a blessing. God makes all these promises to Abraham, but, but notice what all of them are leading to. Verse 3, God says, all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. God blesses Abraham so that he might be a blessing. And this is very interesting because you, you might have kind of tuned out you know, verses 12 through three, 1 through 3, are kind of, they're kind of interesting, but then it's easy to tune out in 4 through 9 because you start getting all these names and places and none of it makes sense. But which, why, why, is, why are these verses there? God makes these promises to Abraham, promises to bless him, and then what happens? Abraham goes out and he starts wandering around in the land, and who does he encounter in verse 6? The Canaanites. Those who have not yet been called those who have not yet experienced the grace and the kindness of God. Now here is the principle. When God calls you, it is never just for your sake. It is not just about what God wants to do for you. It is about what God wants to do through you for the sake of others. Christianity does not take you out of this world. It gives you an entirely new way of living in it. That rather than constantly saying, how can I most be blessed? Where will I most be blessed? No, Christians ask the question, how can I most be a blessing? And this is why the call of God utterly reshapes our lives. It totally changes our lives. There's a well-known story of when JFK was president. One day he went to the uh, NASA Space Center, and he saw a custodian who was holding a broom. And JFK looked at him and he said, what are you doing? And this custodian looked at, looked at the president and he said, I'm helping to put a man on the moon. This guy was sweeping the floor. But he saw his story wrapped up in a much bigger and a much better story. See, and if you are a Christian, the same is true for you. Your life gets swept up into the story and the mission of God. What is God's mission? It's to heal the world. It it is to bring hope where there is despair. It is to bring wholeness where there is brokenness. It is to bring friendship and love and community where there is loneliness. It is to bring freedom where there is bondage. It is to bring justice where there is injustice. And your life, when you become a Christian, gets swept up into that. 
You, you, you stop asking, where does God fit in my life? And you start asking, where does my life fit into the great story of God's mission? And it changes everything. It changes the way you relate to your neighbors and your neighborhood and your work and your coworkers and your family and your retirement and your city. The call of God utterly reshapes our lives and it also shapes our church. We, we have a big dream here as a church. Our hope, I try to say this a lot, our hope is to become such a blessing to our city through our time, through our generosity, through our concern for the poor and the vulnerable. It's to become such a blessing to our city that if our church were to cease to exist in 20 years, that there would be people in this city who are not a part of this church and who do not believe what we believe that would say, we miss those people. Our city is worse off that that church is not here. You know, and the question is, how are we going to become that kind of church? And how are we going to become those kinds of people? And what we're going to see in this series is that the story of Abraham is constantly pointing us to the story of someone else. It is pointing us to the one who is going to be the ultimate fulfillment of all the promises that God makes in Genesis chapter 12. To the one who would bring true blessing to the world. To the one who didn't just leave one land for another, but who left heaven to come to earth who left his father and all of his possessions and who came looking for us before we were ever looking for him. And it cost him everything. See, before you can be part of changing the world, God has to change yours. Before you can get on with God's mission to bless the world, you have to see God's determination to bless you. And friends, that's what we find at this table. We find real blessing. We find real hope. We find real joy. We find real security. We find real love and we find real grace. And the invitation to you this morning is to come, no matter how broken you are. And maybe you come to this table and you find yourself waiting this morning. You are in a season of waiting. And what you need is not more discipline or more effort, but what you need in your waiting is to taste and see the goodness of God. And that's what is held out for us in this meal, in this bread and in this cup. On the night in which he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread. And after he'd given thanks, he broke it. He said, this is my body given for you. Eat this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup and he blessed it, saying, this cup is the cup of the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. The Apostle Paul tells us that as often as we eat this bread and drink this cup, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. Let's pray. Father, what hope we find in this meal. What grace what unending kindness. 
Would you give us eyes to see it and faith to believe it? We give you thanks for your son who has come to find us and to make a way for us to know you. We pray that you would help us to see him more clearly this morning. We pray for grace and for patience in all of our waiting. Help us to trust you. This table says that we can, that there's nothing you would not do for us. And so help us, we pray. In Christ's name, amen.